you will, this morning, take your Bibles and, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. What a, an amazing time of worship and song this morning. Beautiful, wonderful job to everyone. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. We are beginning a new section this morning. Um, we are only going to look at two verses, but you will find that in these two verses, I do believe there's a whole lot to see. But what's interesting about this morning is that these two verses are transition verses. They're going to transition us out of the introduction into kind of the, the ministry of Christ. So we had chapters 1 through 4, chapter 4, verse 13, the introduction which shows us and introduces us to Jesus Christ through the birth and the preaching of John the Baptist, through Jesus' miraculous um, announcement, conception, his birth, his baptism, his genealogy, and then finally the wilderness temptations. And through this introduction, you and I have come to know who he is. You and I have come to know that, that this is the, this is God in the flesh. This is the Messiah. Fully God, fully man. But Israel and the rest of the world in this time, only a few of them know this. But the rest of them do not. And so now the good doctor, good doctor Luke, is going to switch to the ministry of Jesus where Christ is going to begin to minister and to proclaim to all of Israel the good news of his coming. And so I've entitled today's sermon, The Wonderful Ministry of Jesus Christ, because that's what you're going to begin to see. This, this morning is going to lay the foundation for all the chapters leading up to the cross. And so that'll be our focus, all the way up to his sacrifice, the ministry of Christ. And so here's the big idea this morning, and you'll even see this played out through the rest of Luke. The big idea this morning is that Jesus will begin his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, that he may preach to the people of Israel. I'm going to say that again. The big idea is that Jesus begins his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, that he may preach to the people of Israel. He is going to prioritize preaching to the people of God. And I want to focus on these two verses, verses 14 and 15 this morning, because they will provide for you and I a look at the basic elements of ministry. Not just Jesus' ministry, but, but our ministry. Matter of fact, you'll even see this when we get to the book of Acts. You'll see that this is the foundation for their own ministry as well. What we have before us in these two verses is a model, an example it lays for us a foundation of the, basic, of the basics that you and I must embrace. And I fear that we live in a time, I know that we live in a time, that we are a people who are more attracted to the flashy and the big events and, and the things that are very appe- appealing to the eyes of men than we are to the things that are biblical and appealing to the eyes of God, pleasing to Him. And so we need to ask ourselves, why or what should be the foundational principle of ministry for First Baptist Church of Jonesboro? What should be the foundation, foundational principle for, for Brian McAllister, for Trey, for, for Melanie, for, for Danny, for Randy, for, for you? 
What is the foundation that we have in ministry and why we serve? And I want you to see three important elements this morning. I want you to see the place, the power, and the priority. The place, the power, and the priority this morning. If you will, look with me in chapter 4, verse 14 and verse 15. And Luke writes to us, he says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spreading through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. I want to begin this morning with the place. And if you'll notice there, Luke tells us, and he returned to Galilee. Now, there's a whole lot in that statement. I actually read and, and kind of laughed at a few other pastors because they, they actually were preaching from Luke or preaching you know, out of Luke, but they actually preached more of John, the Gospel of John, than they did Luke. As, I, as you look through this, many of us would think that this is, this is the immediate response. This is the immediate thing Jesus does when he comes out of the wilderness, that he immediately goes to his hometown of Nazareth in Galilee and begins to minister. But I need to give you some context because that's not what happens. Matter of fact, what we find is, is that there is an entire year that passes between verse 13 and verse 14. And so in that little blank space between, between 13 and 14, there, there is a year that passes by. And then a lot has transpired, and, and to kind of get a little bit of what transpired, you have to go to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1 through 4, and I'll just sum it up for you. They give us some details of what Jesus has been doing since the wilderness. We know that, he, um, that John the Baptist would proclaim him as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Some people would start following Jesus. <clears throat> John would actually point them to him. And they would begin following him, and they would become the first sets of disciples. Jesus goes to Cana with these disciples to a wedding feast where he will turn water into wine. We know that he goes to the Passover. He keeps the law, and so he goes in the Passover, but you know what he does. This is the first time that he goes into the temple, and he begins to kind of cause a ruckus, and he begins to run out the money changers and stuff. He cleanses the temple. He speaks to Nicodemus, and this is where we get the famous John three sixteen. We uh, we know that he preaches and baptizes and teaches there in Judea for a while, and then we also know that he goes into Samaria where he meets the woman at the well, which results in many coming to him to not only be healed and things, but to learn from him. A lot has transpired since we were in the wilderness the last time. And through all of that, the popularity of Jesus has been growing. People are hearing this. And remember, this is Galilee. This is, this is his hometown, Nazareth. The, the, this would be like Brian leaving the, the community, in which, by the way, if you go into Calvin, it may say community, but in my day it said village. The village of Calvin. I didn't realize that I came from a village until years later, but anyways. Leave the village, the community of Calvin, and you, you go and you make a name for yourself, and they, they see things on YouTube, Right? And then you come back and they're all excited because one of their own has, has come back. One of their own has made a name for themselves. Well, this is kind of what happened is that, is that here Jesus, his popularity has grown and they've, they've heard about all the things that are going on and now he returns to Galilee. Well, Galilee, what do we know about it? It is the northern district of Palestine. It was not very large. 
It was, but it was very densely populated because it was very fertile, a lot of farming and things going on. Historians tell us, though it was not large, that there were many uh, towns or villages between 200 and 240 towns and villages in this area. Not only was Galilee a populous district, but its people were greatly influenced by the outside world because there was a major road that ran from Damascus to Egypt and it went through Galilee. Not to mention they're surrounded by, on their borders by Gentiles and even the Samaritans. Which this right here would have brought in some of the pagan practices and influenced them in pagan ideas, which would have created a little bit of a, a hindrance in ministry. This, this may be an explanation of why we see so much demon possession that Jesus deals with in this area. But this is the place where Jesus will come. This is the place where he'll spend the next year and a half ministering to people by traveling from one town to the next. And, and Luke is going to record all of this from chapters 4 in verse 14, all the way through chapter 9. Isn't it interesting that he goes back, though? To his hometown where he knows they're not going to accept him. He's in Judea. He, he's close to Jerusalem. And his, his name is growing. People are hearing about all the great wonders and the great teaching of this man. And they're, they're starting to follow him. And, and so where does he go but, but into the country? Not straight into the city, not straight into the temple, but into the country. And he's going to do a lot of good things there. He's going to call more disciples. He's going to mentor them. He's going to do a lot of healing. He's going to cast out demons. He's going to teach in all the synagogues. He's going to do a whole lot of things. And it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful ministry. But isn't it amazing that Jesus would return back to Galilee? I love that Luke tells us this. That he goes back there. That he may minister to his people. That he may go back to his hometown, even though it doesn't go well. He goes back to his hometown that he may proclaim the gospel. Why? Because the people in his hometown, and the people of his own country, his own district, his own region needed Christ. They needed saving. And it is an amazing But if we had actually dig into this further, what we find is that this is a divinely appointed task, a divinely appointed place that that he is given by God. Luke actually tells us over in chapter 17 of, of of his writings in Acts in verse 26. Listen to what Paul says to those at Mars Hill. Paul says he, talking about God, From one man made every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their inhabitation. It was God who sovereignly determined the year you would be born, the time you would live in, and the very place you would be. You are not here in this church, here in Jonesboro, Louisiana, by accident. It is is God's divine appointment that you are here. Just as it was God's divine appointment that Jesus would be in Nazareth and he would grow up there. Well, sometimes I think that we dream of reaching the world and we dream of all of the opportunities in the other places around the world. And what happens is, is we forget that Jonesboro, Louisiana and Jackson Parish are even on the map. We tend to forget that even that our zip code is here. 
and that there are opportunities beyond what you and I are even capable of, even capable of in our own flesh and our own strength to do for the Lord. And so what do we do? We look to other places and to other things. I remember as a teenager, always hearing, you need to get out of here. You need to go experience life. There are greater opportunities outside of Calvin. There's greater opportunities outside of, of Wynn Parish. So what did I do? I came to Jonesboro, Louisiana. And apparently I brought some people with me, right? But I remember those days of always looking at the greener pastures. Yet forgetting that God had given me a pasture. And it was ripe for the harvest. The basic principle for ministry, beloved, is that you are to grow where you are planted. You are to minister where God has planted you and we, and he, had, and he has planted us here in Jonesboro that we may serve him. And so we are to serve Jonesboro. We are to pray for Jonesboro. We are to evangelize Jonesboro. We are to use our finances to, to reach Jonesboro. We are to use our spiritual gifts and our talents. We are to use our homes and all of our resources and everything that we have that we may reach this town for Christ and this parish. Just as Christ returned to his hometown in Galilee. If not, then why not? God has placed you here. Why is your focus in another field when the harvest is ripe right here? The harvest is ripe. And we want to look to the country. We want to look to the White House and and all that is going on in America versus right here. And God has given us a harvest that will be plentiful if we would focus our attention and our efforts oh beloved i I call on you this morning that you would return to your galilee i would call on you this morning that that a basic principle is is that you grow and minister where god has planted you and you need to return your focus and your efforts and your labors and your vine all of the things that we are that we may reach the very place that is right before us that we may reach our own zip code and minister here with all of our heart FPC, I would call on you this morning that you would pray for your place of ministry. Pray for this town. Pray for this, this, this parish. Pray for this church. Pray for these people that God has placed in your life that you know are lost and in need of Christ. And people who may be saved but who are drowning because they're not being sanctified. They're not growing. They're not even going to church. And we need to be discipling them. I would call on you to become active as Christ was active in the ministry of your own community. Be, be out, be present, be, be around and begin to infiltrate the community that you may share the gospel. I would call on you this morning that you would engage with your faith family in the effort to be gospel witnesses right here in our hometown. To share the gospel with our neighbors. To invite people to our church. When is the last time we've invited someone to come to church with us? To open up our homes. When's the last time we, we, we've, we've set our sights on our very homes, our very neighbors across the road from us, inviting them into our homes that we may feed them and share the gospel with them, be a, be a part of the church activities. The ministry teams have a, have a job to do. To do, to, to do missions and evangelism, to, to, to work within the community and do these things. This is, the, this is why our ministry teams exist. 
And so you be a chart and char- be a part of the church activities that are designed to engage our own community. Charles Spurgeon said, "You will never make a good missionary of a person who does not do who, or who does not do good at home. He that will not serve the Lord in the Sunday school at home will not win children to Christ in China." Let me say it again. He that will not serve the Lord in the Sunday school at home, he will not win the children or win children to Christ in China. Oh, beloved, let us return to our Galilee and let us serve where God has placed us right here in our own home. But secondly, I want you to notice the power. Notice here that that he not only tells us he returned to Galilee, but he says he returned in the power of the Spirit. Now Luke doesn't want us to forget the power that that helped him overcome the temptations of of Satan in the wilderness. And and so we know that ministry is difficult and it is hard and it can be be, be very discouraging at times. And so uh, offer many challenges. We know that we have difficulties and challenges right here in our own hometown, in our own parish, in our own state. We we know this. We, We know that it can be hard. And so Luke wants us to know the power by which we can be great, successful ministers. He says it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word here is dunamis, meaning to be able. It refers to achieving or receiving an ability to carry out some function. It'd be like you bringing me on a construction site, saying I need you to nail in these nails. I need you to put up this, you know, put up this frame. And I said, well, I don't have the ability because I don't have a hammer. You hand me the hammer. Now I've got the ability. That which I was not capable of doing because I didn't have the, the power, I didn't have the tool to do, the Spirit gives to me. An example of this in Jesus' own ministry would be the miracles and the healings of the sick. Luke is, again, wanting to put our attention on the third person of the Trinity. He wants to remind us that Jesus voluntarily surrendered the independent use of His divine power and submitted Himself to the will of God and the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Luke does not want you to forget that Christ is fully man and fully God, but that his human nature was just that. It was human with no supernatural power. He, 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 he willingly sets that aside, willingly puts it aside, and thus he must rely on the power of the third person, the Trinity, the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit. It is by this strength, this enablement, that he was able to overcome Satan in the wilderness, and it's by this enablement of the Holy Spirit by which he is able to minister so powerfully in Galilee. This is a mystery that we do not comprehend. We will never comprehend the humanity and deity of Christ, how they come together, and how he who was divine empties himself. Still God, still 100% God, still divine, but just like us, he relies on this power of the Spirit. It is a mystery that we will never comprehend. But beloved, I'm here to tell you this morning that it is a power that we can experience. You see, just as the Spirit played a major role in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Christ, the Spirit plays a major role in our lives. Not only does the Spirit come into us when we are saved, when we repent of our sins and believe upon Christ, the, the Spirit comes in and it regenerates us and it redeems us. 
But, but we see throughout the Gospel of Luke, and we see throughout the, uh, his writings in Acts, that it is the Spirit that can, that can control us and begin to fill us with the enablement to, to minister and to live and to have victories in our life. And so just as the Spirit played a major role in the life of Christ, the Spirit of God plays a major role in our life to, that we may minister right here. As one writer said this week that I was reading, he said, The Holy Spirit makes that which was once hard now easy. It was very hard for Peter to keep his foot out of his mouth. But after the feeling of the Spirit, Peter begins to become a powerful speaker. It was very hard for the disciples to endure and to persevere with Christ there in the garden when tribulation came. But, but we see in Acts that it becomes a lot easier and the Spirit enabled them to go all the way up to their own martyrs where they would die. That which we could not accomplish on our own. Because of the Spirit in us and His feeling, filling us up and controlling us, we can now do. And this morning, I, there are so many examples of this. I could, I could have just made a list after list, and I was so tempted to do this, but I just want to give you two. And I think you can even see them in the life of Jesus Christ and the life of the disciples here in Luke and also in Acts that I think is so relevant for you and I today. One of the first ones that we can see is the issue of endurance, the ability to endure in the ministry Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, that it is, that it, 5 verses 3 and 4, that it is the filling of the Spirit. It is by the Holy Spirit that we begin to love and to hope. But he also says that we begin to endure in our trials. And if anyone knew of the trials of ministry, it was the Apostle Paul who persevered to the very end. Did you hear how many towns I told you were in Galilee? 200 to 240, probably closer to 240. And in a year and a half, Christ is going from town to town to town to town, and he is ministering, he is proclaiming all the while that people are flocking to him, even while he's trying to go from one place to the next. Do you think he became tired? Do you think he became hungry? Do you think that there may have been times where he was just going, you know what, I just need to take some time off from all of this. What was it that kept him ministering and kept him preaching and kept him going and kept the disciples with him learning and being mentored? It was the endurance that came from the Spirit of God. And beloved, so it is with us. You and I need the Holy Spirit to keep us going, to not lose steam, that we may not lose steam and in our efforts and our labors and the ministry that is being done here in this church is being done in this town. Because have we not seen this happen already? Have we not once seen those who were energetic and faithful and, and were just, we were, they were just rocking on all cylinders, right? And it just seemed like nothing could stop them. Everything was going. They were teaching and they were serving and they were doing this and they were doing that. And then all of a sudden, you, we no longer see them serving, but we no longer see them at all. They became tired in their labors. See, beloved, when you minister without the power of the Holy Spirit, you will not endure. 
When you minister in your own strength, in your own flesh, in your own efforts, in your own things, you will not endure. You will stop teaching. You will stop serving. You will stop participating. You will stop being a part of teams. This is what happens when we minister in our, in our own flesh. We need the power of the Spirit to help us to endure in the service of the church. And we say, well, Brother Ron, we're getting older. It's getting harder to serve. Brothers and sisters, I, I understand. But are we to say that our age is a greater adversary for the Holy Spirit? That our age could somehow hinder the Holy Spirit from stopping us to do things? Now, I'm not saying you continue to do the same things you've always done. No, there, there's a point where, you, where you're not able to do and you let go of things, but you don't just throw your hands up and just quit coming to church. You don't quit praying for the church. You don't quit investing in other people. And for some people, it always seems I'm either all in or I'm at home. We need to endure for the hope of our town. We may say, well, Brother Brian, the town's just not what it used to be. This place is not what it used to be. Do you know that the empowerment, the, the enabling of the Spirit is also enable endurance of hope? You say, Brother Brian, our town is, is dead, it's dying. Are you telling me that the Holy Spirit cannot raise to life that which is dead? I think that's exactly what happened on the third day of Jesus' death. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is raised to life. Oh, beloved, the power to endure in your place of service comes through the Holy Spirit, not in your own flesh and in your own abilities. But here's another one for you this morning. What about evangelism? What about the, being a gospel witness? We know that, that when you get over to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that Jesus tells the disciples, he tells the apostles, he says that, yea, we're going to be his witnesses in all of Judea, Samaria, all the other parts of the world. But we are witnesses. We are, we are people who evangelize, who proclaim the glory of God and call people into salvation. We are, that is our job, that is our role, that is what we do. But we know this is hard, isn't it? And you say, well, well, Brother Brown, this is very good, but, but a person really needs to be trained to be a witness. That's the role of the pastor, that's the role of the deacons, that's the role of the Sunday school. That's someone else's job to be the evangelist and to be the missionary and to, and to be the teacher. It's not me. I, I'm just a churchgoer, right? I haven't been trained for that. My first response is, why have you been coming to church anyways? Because that's what we do every Sunday. That's the job to train you through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. But need I remind you of Peter and John who stood before the very people who killed Christ and they said these are uneducated and ordinary men. And they were blown away. But these men have been with Jesus. Where did their power come from? Where did their witness come from? Where, where did this boldness come from? Where does this evangelism come from? Oh, brothers and sisters, on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they became great preachers and teachers and testifiers. They became great witnesses of Christ. 
They were mentored by Jesus, but please understand, it was not until the enablement of the Spirit of God until they became powerful witnesses. The Holy Spirit is essential in our life that we may be great evangelists. The same mentoring can take place right here in the church. And the same power that enabled Christ, that enabled the apostles, that enabled Paul, that has enabled all the church fathers and all the great saints of history, stirs within you. Did you know that? If you're just like, I don't know about that, then you're not saved. But he stirs within you. Beloved, seek the feeling, seek the power, the enablement of the Holy Spirit. It is foundational for the success of our ministry as a church and for your ministry in your own life to fulfill your own responsibilities. Search the the Scriptures to learn how we are to be filled, how we are to, to be obedient I'll tell you right now, one of the first things, if you were to be filled and be empowered by the Spirit, is you must be obedient to the Scriptures. Christ did exactly as, the, as God had told Him, and we are to do exactly as God has told us in order that we may be able to be given this enablement. But you must obey the Scriptures. You must search the Scriptures. You must learn the Scriptures. And may I also suggest to you this morning that if you are one who is looking for the, the, the strength to minister and to endure, to be, to be a gospel witness, may I say to you this morning, then you need to come to the end of yourself in prayer. And when you get up in the mornings and when you go to bed at night and when you think of it throughout the day, to come before God and pray, pray, pray and say, oh God, may all that I do not be in my strength. Oh God, may all that I do be done in the the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit. Dear friends, may I suggest and may I encourage you that in your prayers you come to the end of yourself, humble yourself, be poor in spirit, call out to Him and reject anything else that would would allow you and I to boast in the flesh of men and not in the glory and the power of God. May no activity, may nothing that we do as a church ever boast in men but always in the power and the glory of God. This is foundation, foundational to our ministry as a church. But thirdly, I want you to notice the, the priority. We find it in verse 15. It says, And he began teaching in the synagogues, and he was praised by, by all. And so we wonder, what was he being praised for? It's not for his miracles. Notice what it says. He's, he's preaching. He's teaching in the synagogues. This is the immediate focus. Matter of fact, I'll show you in just a moment that, that Luke makes this as the kind of the, the, the bookends of this, of this section here. But the Greek word here for teaching um, is didasko, which means to provide instruction or information in a formal or informal setting. So, so in other words, a formal ser- setting where there's a large gathering and we're proclaiming the Word and we're teaching the Word, but it can also be in a one-on-one setting or just a, a few people setting here. It covers preaching in the church service, in the church building, in the large gatherings, but it also covers you teaching your children in your home. It, it covers you having coffee for your lunch with somebody and you mentoring them one-on-one. It can happen here or in your house or even in your car or over the phone. What I find interesting about this is that it's written in the imperfect tense. It signifies that Jesus is doing this over and over and over and over again. 
You see, he's actually instructing people, teaching people more than he is healing people and caring for people. We're always told the opposite, aren't we? That the priority is the care and the, and the healing and the miracles. That this is the, this was the great priority of Christ. But, but, but really Jesus tells us in his own words, red letters, that this was not his priority. Look, look with me in chapter 4, verse 38 through 44. I'm not going to read all this. But I just want you to just look ahead. We're going to come to this in a few weeks where Jesus will heal his mother-in-law. She'll be sick. And all of a sudden people are going to start coming all throughout the night, they're, they're going to come, the demon-possessed, those who are sick, and he's going to begin to heal, and he's going to be able to cast out demons, and eventually he's going to get a little tired, and he's going to go pray, and Peter's going to come and find him praying in the morning, and Peter's going to come, and he's going to say, he's going to say, they're still coming. Can you believe it? All these people, man, they're coming for you that you may heal them, and you may care for them. This is what we've been dreaming of, someone who can care for our physical needs. Come, Lord, Come. And look what he says in verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. You know what would have happened if Jesus was to say that today in the church? Now, now Jesus, I know you're the Messiah, but, but that preaching really gets in the way of our singing. So you need, to, you need to stop all that. Jesus, if you were to, look, I, I know you like to preach. Gee, you're long-winded, and you preach too much, Jesus. And, and we got some activities and some programs. We, we got some ideas, Lord. You're, you're getting in the way of, of the, the social stuff and the, you know, and the caring of the physical needs, Jesus. You're, you're getting in the way because you want to teach all the time. This is why I came. This is the priority of my ministry. And it is the priority of the ministry that I'm going to give to you, the church, that you instruct people in the kingdom of God. You instruct people in the, in the word of God. Beloved, we are to minister to the physical needs of people, absolutely. But we are to prioritize the care of their souls the care of their souls, which can only come about through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And sadly, many churches today are teaching less and less and less, and we are praising them for it. Because we want to get to that other stuff. And many churches today are reserving the role and the, and the responsibility of teaching to only the pastor. But this is a responsibility he gave to the church. Absolutely the pastor is to preach and teach. But so are you. So are you. This is the priority of the church ministry. It is the priority of the worship service that we do not gather to just you know, do all the other things and then we, that's worship and then we preach. Everything else is worship, but then, but then we preach. Beloved, according to Martin Luther, where the authentic preaching of the word takes place, the church, the worship of God is there. But by contrast, 
where the preaching is absent, the teaching is absent, there is no church, there is no worship at all. The preaching and the teaching of God's word is the foundation of the worship. If it is absent, then we have prioritized other things and there is no worship. The, the, the preaching and the teaching, the proclaiming of God's word for Sunday morning for the gathering is that we would come and say, thus saith the Lord. That we would come and expound the gospel this morning. To come and say that God has sent his son. That we who are sinners, unworthy of the grace and mercy of God, but God in his great love sent Christ that he would come that he may live perfectly in this world, that he may die on the cross for on your behalf and on my behalf, rising from the grave, that you may be saved if you were to come and repent and believe upon Christ. Matter of fact, dear friends, let me just say that the gospel is your only hope. Not only have we removed the gospel, not only removed just the preaching and teaching of the word, the instructing of the word, we're actually removing the gospel from our worship services now. And we're not proclaiming to people that Christ has been crucified and Christ has been risen from the grave and that you who are in your sins can be saved. May I say to you this morning, dear friend, that that is the only way by which you may enter into worship. That is the only way by which we may be able to minister to people is that we proclaim the gospel of Christ. And I would say that if you find yourself convicted this morning that you are in your sins, your only hope is Christ. And if you want to experience true worship, you come to Christ in repentance. We have removed the preaching and teaching from the worship service, but it is essential. It is the priority, not only that. We, we, we must see that it is the priority of the activities and the programs, the children and the youth and the adults, see, even the mission programs, even our His Hand programs, all the things that we do. We give physical food. We, we have moments where we gather and we fellowship we do these things. And we always say, what is the purpose? That you may tell them what? About Jesus. That you may instruct them in the Word of God. But sadly, we are beginning to focus more on everything else. And then we just barely have that. At the end of the day, all of our programs, all of our activities, all of these things are meant that we would help people to know and understand the Word of God. That we would instruct them in some way, whether it be in a formal or informal gathering. Sadly, over the last, over the many years, we have lost our teachers we're seeing this across the, the nation. Many who have passed away or have retired, never to be replaced. And so either no one teaches or someone gets in just to get by until, someone, until hopefully someone comes along the way. Oh, beloved, may I say this to you this morning, that if we are to be a church who wants to have many activities and many opportunities to minister to people, then guess what we need? We need people who are going to instruct them in the word of God. Or we're going to have to have less activities. And focus in where the teaching is the priority of our ministry. FBC, we need more teachers. And maybe this morning you say, well, I can't teach. Thus the power of the Holy Spirit. Did we not say 
that it is the power of God that enables us to do this. We have no excuse. Find someone to help you. Find someone to help mentor you and train you and bring you up. There is no greater joy to be able to instruct people, to care for the souls of people through the instructing and teaching of the Word of God. I would tell you that this is also the priority of our relationships with one another. Remember, the Word Remember that this word teaching here refers to not only the large gathering, but the one-on-one, the smaller settings here, the, the relationships. And so many of us have great relationships with one another, great relationships with people. And yet, sadly, is that we only share hobbies, we only share food, we only share our prayers when we are in need. But we don't share the instruction of God's word with one another. I get it. It's hard when someone instructs me with the Word of God, especially when I'm being a bonehead. But do you know how blessing, you know how much of a blessing that is and how, how, how great of a joy that it is to have someone pour into me? And, and we need that. You need that. You need someone pouring into you and you need to be pouring into others. You need to be inst- instructing each other in the Word of God. We need to prioritize our discipleship, our one-on-one teaching of, one of, of each other, just as Christ did. This is the foundation of every ministry. FBC, here is the priority at FBC. <coughs> we are to either be discipled by someone, we are being discipled by someone, or we are discipling someone. Either someone is pouring into you or you are pouring into someone else. I would encourage you to get together to read and discuss a, a book. Read and discuss a, a book of the Bible. Read and walk through this and pray with one another. Find someone, old, uh, someone younger than you to mentor. Find someone older than you to, to, be men, to be mentored by. But I love what John Wesley says. He says, give me 100 preachers. Give me 100 teachers. Who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they are clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Brothers and sisters, can I ask you this morning, how do you plan on setting up the kingdom of heaven in Jonesboro, Louisiana? It must come through the power of the Spirit. And through the prioritizing and the teaching of the Word of God. In closing, we have a place. We have a place that needs our ministry. We have the power to be successful. The place is full of, it's ready for the harvest. We have a power to be successful. The power of the Spirit to enable us to do all that God calls us and commands us to do. And we have the Word of life. So let us prioritize the teaching, that br- the teaching of the Word that brings life to men and women. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning?